It's episode 566 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Let's talk gravel in Ireland. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to another Roadman Cycling Podcast. I sit here quite a more fatigued man than I was last time I spoke to you on Friday. And on Friday, I was talking to you about my weekend of adventure I had planned. I was heading up to Fermanagh, which is about a two, two and a half hour drive from my house, to take part in the Lakeland Gravel Grinder. And considering I've travelled over to Iceland and Spain and far-flung corners of Europe in search of gravel, it was a refreshing drive to go two hours to ride some absolutely phenomenal gravel. And I want to unpack the events of that race and talk to you about a truly spectacular event in a minute. But before Before I do, it would be remiss of me not to mention the Gravel Worlds, given this is a gravel-focused podcast. We had our first ever Gravel Worlds yesterday. It was a mixed bag. The coverage was pretty poor. It was on GCN, and while I applaud the fact that we do have coverage of the Gravel Worlds, it was amazing. Let's just say they have some they have some sharp corners to sort of round out before next year. We lost coverage at the key moment of the race where we had Vermeersch and Daniel Oss in a pretty dramaless race and the only moment of excitement was missed by the TV cameras in a sort of 25-minute blackout on coverage. So that was pretty bad. It was also just a race without any drama whatsoever. Not one for the spectators. It finished out with Gianni Vermeersch, the new gravel world champion, the Alpecin Deconic man, bringing it home from Daniel Oss from Total Direct Energy, Sagan's teammate. And we had none other than MVDP, Matthew van der Poel, rounding out the podium, which makes it a very fitting world's podium. It's super strong riders at the top of it. And I think the gravel privateers or the quote-unquote gravel pros, we really figured out where the pecking order is. The World Tour guys are, they're the 1% of the 1%. They're doing absolutely everything right. And it's very difficult to beat them, especially when you get somebody as well-rounded as Vermeersch, us, Matthew van der Poel. These are cyclocross riders, they're mountain bike riders, they're multidisciplinary champions. So you put them on a road bike, on a gravel bike, on a mountain bike, they're going to be very, very hard boys to beat. And just because you've self-titled yourself a gravel pro doesn't give you a right to beat these guys. They're the best in the world. And for the gravel pros to, you know, don the rainbow bands, they're going to have to up the level a lot, considering we're riding that course again next year. We had a little bit of drama, which I didn't necessarily agree with. And again, this is why, I don't know, does gravel need the UCI? Do we need a world gravel championships? This is a debate that's going to rage on and on. But they decided to grid the riders according to UCI road ranking points as well as gravel ranking points. So basically, Matthew van der Poel, Peter Sagan, Daniel Oss, etc. got priority gridding on the at the start of the race, even though they haven't done one of the preparatory gravel events for this race or any of the qualifying rounds for this race. And you had riders like Nathan Haas, Nicholas Roach, who came through the gravel, you know, the gravel system, the gravel World Cups events, and earned qualification gridded further back. So a massive unfairness. You know, we've seen in mountain bike races in the past, even though Pitcock is undoubtedly 
a star. If he didn't have any mountain bike World Cup points, he started at the back of the grid. Sport is about fairness, and there's an element of fairness in that, and I don't think that was fair. Let's get on to closer to home. I went up to the Lakeland Gravel Grinder, my final race of the season, and gravel, it's just, I don't know if I'm coming back to cycling this time in a much more chill mindset, but everything's just relaxed for me at the moment, and none more so than collecting my new bike. I spoke on the podcast last day about how I actually sprung. I pried the credit card out of the wallet, and I bought myself a 51 bike. It's probably the first time I've bought a bike in, it, it is the first time I've bought a bike in a long, long time. And it, it's cool to get it off a Dublin company, but I didn't pick it up until the day before the race. So I was, I was worried, but I was like, it's a gravel race. If something happens, something happens. I'm not that, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into a manic depressive state if something happens to the bike. But I knew I had that chance of, you know, seat poke slipping, gear cable stretching, etc. The stuff you would expect with a brand new bike. And thankfully, there was nothing too prohibitive the, ra- the way the race panned out. So I kind of got away largely with picking it up the day before and not even riding it before the race. Position felt a little strange. I have some tweaking to do. Decided to travel down the evening before the race to Monaghan. It was it was a relaxed enough start. It was a 10.30 start, but just with the, getting there an hour before, two-hour plus drive, I didn't fancy getting up at six in the morning. So we decided to travel up the night before. Myself, Sarah, and a friend of mine travelled up, and we toured our sort of roadman from the roadman group meeting us up there. So we had a nice little collection of roadmen, and thankfully one of the lads, Michael, got a house right beside the start line, so we were able to use that as a little bit of a base. So we drove over there in the morning, got kitted there, coffee there, etc. And it was a nice, it was like a, it was like a mini team atmosphere, but just super laid back and everybody real difference of ability the lads kind of you know starting out on their cycling journey and just interest in hearing the dialogues and contrasting those with my experiences of sitting on you know buses and campers and team meetings before races and just the the tension the hype the conversations are just so so different to the conversations that took place in that team house before and it was really nice to hear and it kind of I know, that sort of stuff is recharging me this time around in cycling. It's it's just a different narrative that I haven't heard before, and it's it's energizing. And I, I was so laid back that I kind of forgot that I was there for a bike race. And you know, although I'm like super chilled going into it, I, I do want to go into these events and I want to I want to ride hard when I'm on the bike and I'm clipped in. I want to ride hard and I want to race and I want to get everything out. So I did make a little bit of a schoolboy error. So laid back and chatting and you know, taking photos and stuff at the start with Sarah, that I started right at the back and there was 800 participants split across the two fields. Most of them seemed to be distributed into the 100 kilometer race. So I'm going to guess it was like 600 participants in the 100 kilometer race. And I rolled up to the start just as they were going off. So just had enough time to hand Sarah my jacket because her race wasn't starting until 30 minutes after mine. And I got rolling and I started at the back of 600 people. The one lad dressed as a bumblebee and I started beside him. That's how I knew. I was like, oh, I am going to have a job to get to the front here. And I had a super hard job to get to the front of that race. And I never did get to the front of the race. But at that moment, I was like, okay, I've made a big mistake. But in gravel, and I've learned this only on the podcast, Pete Stetton, Lawrence Tendam, these guys have said to me in gravel, you got to keep riding. Because you never know what's happening up front. So I was like, okay, it's 100 kilometers. Like, the race is one kilometer old. I can't throw the head and think to myself, oh, the race is done because I've I've had a bad gridding start. 
I need to pass people and I need to ride as hard as I can. So I just got my head down and got in focus. I looked at the power meter. You know, you've heard the ads on the podcast stages have kindly sponsored the power meter, or the podcast. And as a part of that, I've got myself a stages crank for the gravel bike, which is amazing to have power on the gravel bike for the first time. So I just kind of dialed in. I said, I'm going to ride hard and I'm going to ride this basically as a time trial and see where I finish. So looking at the power meter, I was just trying to keep the first 20 minutes, you know, around threshold, a little bit above threshold. So I was kind of 370, 380 around there. And I was just clipping past people as much as I could. But the atmosphere was phenomenal. I got to a point where it was like, at the beginning, it was quite dangerous passing people because there's a big speed differential between, you know, people at the very back who were just there to have a day out with their friends and me trying to get to the front of the race. But after, you know, I passed a couple of hundred people and it started being a bit more spread out, it was really chill. It wasn't as hard to pass people. I wasn't going, up, you know, on dangerous grass verges and jumping down. It was just kind of weaving a little bit and it was fine. I had almost no problems on that journey to, you know, the first couple of hours, the first 50 kilometers. I did have at one point, I took a slight wrong turn, which I went probably four or 500 meters in the wrong direction. It was a period where I'd found myself between groups and there was no one there on the wrong, totally my fault, on the wrong page. I was looking at my parameter display screen and I didn't have the map open and I looked up, flicked the map page. I was like, oh no, wrong way. Done a U-turn, lost a little bit of time there. Not the end of the world and totally, totally my fault because it was a place that was well signposted and we had the gpx file but it was just my haste to keep head down and keep catching people and i did sort of clip my way through and i skipped all the feed stations i had two bottles with me one bounced out not brilliant i'd half a drank anyway so it wasn't like i was only one bottle for the whole race but uh i went through seven gels on the race which was plenty enough it wasn't a warm day it was like an average seven degrees and a high of 11 degrees, I think, on the day. So it wasn't super warm. Shorts and jersey and a base layer were perfect when you were riding hard. But if you slowed up a bit, like the ride back from the finish line to the hotel, it started biting cold instantly. So I skipped the feed zones, which saved me a little bit of time. I just rode straight past them. So the first feed, it was 25, another 50, another 75. And as I was going, I was sort of changing my expectations for the race. At beginning, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to time trial and get an effort out, get everything I can out, and let's see where you finish. You know, let the chips fall where they will. And after about 40, 50 kilometers, I was like, I'm picking off a lot of people. As I was going, if I knew somebody, and shout out to everybody that said hello on the way, and sorry if I didn't say <laughs> hello back to some of you, but I got some conversations going. If I'd roll up to a group of two or three guys, I'd, you know, say to me, hey, you know, what's going on up front? And they'd say, oh, you know, I was up there in the front, and there's six riders in a group ahead, and they're about a minute ahead. And I was like, okay, cool. So that'll be my next target. And I put my head down and go, right, let me catch those six guys ahead. And I worked my way up until I caught the six guys ahead. Then I chatted to them. But hey, guys, what's going on up the road? And at about 50 to 60K in, I, I knew I was getting close to the front of the race. I knew I was. the conversations were like guys saying, hey, yeah, I was in the break and I got dropped out of it. They're like 45, 50 seconds ahead and there's six of them. And I caught another one or two guys. And he's like, yeah, I've been, I've been popped out of the break as well. And there's like four of them left up front. And I was like, okay, so I, I'm definitely getting close. And then I eventually caught the break. I'd say about 70 kilometers into the race, I caught the break, got there, and I think there was three guys left when I got there. And I chatted to them, and they said, there's one up the road, Darren McArthur from Spellman, real strong rider. He's gone. He's been gone from the start, and we haven't seen him, and he's like three or four minutes ahead. I was like, okay. 
well, this, <laughs> this is not a brilliant scenario. There wasn't a lot of motivation left in this group to chase. So at one point, I, you know, I just put in a little bit of a, you know, I stood on the pedals a little bit hard on a descent. And I looked back and I had a gap and got, I said, right, I'm going to get the head down and I'm going to chase. And this was my only real mechanical of the day. And it's hard to say even a mechanical because on gravel, everyone's having these problems. So you can't have this, oh, woe is me attitude. People are flattening all over the place. People are dropping chains, having gear issues. So it's like you have to deal with your issues and keep moving. So I put in a good 15 to 20 minutes hard riding. And I can't tell, say how much the time checks aren't brilliant in gravel races. I don't know how much I was closing that three-minute gap. I felt like I was closing it decently and my saddle was slipping. And again, just my 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 fault. I didn't uh, torque it enough before the race, didn't check this thing, picking it up the day before. So it was dropping and dropping and dropping to the point that it was getting totally novelty. I said to myself, okay, now I'm going to keep riding, I'm going to keep riding. And it got to the point where it was nearly like all the way down. I couldn't sit in the saddle. I could only ride out of the saddle. So I said, you know what, I'm going to stop and I'm going to fix the saddle. And my multi-tool was like buried in my saddle bag and I'm rooting around in there and I probably lost 90 seconds fixing the saddle. So I did the group behind caught me. I had to put in an effort to catch that group again. So now I'm back in group two, but the saddle is fixed. So I think the trade-off was worth it. In the end, caught that group. One of the lads came with me. Shout out to Kieran. He was a legend of a lad. He was the only lad I got a little bit of trading off with all day. I had a lonely old day. And two of us rode into the finish. I managed to get second. Darren McCarter stayed away. I'd actually never seen the lad for the entire day. I never got back to the front of the race enjoyed it so so much and it just to highlight how different it was sarah had ridden her 50 kilometer race and she got through it brilliantly i think she was 10th girl on the day which is amazing it's her first ever bike race like i was so excited and i was thinking on the way around so much about that and her performance and just the difficult technical parts of the race going oh i hope she gets through this because she hasn't had that much experience riding the bike and especially off-road it's her first time ever racing a gravel race and she's only been on gravel once before on a loner bike from me so seeing her at the finish line smiling away i was like oh this is just chill and it was just such a different vibe and everyone wanted to take pictures and chat at the finish totally different to road race and it's like the collegiality and community among gravel is just so so different and like it was a it was a hard ride. Like I was pulling up my training peaks data just before it, like a twenty minutes, a three eighty seven average, three nine nine normalized for twenty minutes, and my ten minutes at the start was four eleven normalized, and the entire race was a normalized of three forty, I think, for or three thirty four or something like that, for over three hours forty five minutes. So it was a long hard day out there basically a time trial the guys are catching because of the dynamic of me coming from the back and they're kind of fatiguing there wasn't a lot of kind of trading off or getting to sit on wheels so i didn't really get to chat with many people and was just chasing this hair up on front all day which unfortunately i never caught but had an amazing day out and i couldn't recommend the lakeland gravel grinder event enough just to think that it's on my doorstep in ireland I was just sitting down at the end and they gave us some complimentary beers and burgers at the end that everyone waited around. And uh, one of the lads that I mentioned, Michael, that had the house on the start line, I waited around for him and it's his first ever gravel event. Went home, got showered, came back, had the beer and burger. 
sat down and just listened to the music, listened to people coming in, telling their stories, talking about cool local brands, talking about gravel as a community and just trading war stories from day. And it was very different to the road vibe I've had all the way through my cycling career of finishing a race, bundling all the stuff into the car and on to the next one. It was diff. Uh, yeah, it's just, it needs to be experienced to... Words don't do it justice. They don't... People are going to use buzzwords like community, vibe, spirit of gravel, but they don't do it justice. It needs to be experienced because it's totally different. It's a totally different atmosphere, not comparable. I don't want to say better or worse, but just not comparable to road cycling or other cycling events I've been at in the past. And I've spent the second half of this season traveling the world trying to find cool gravel events and cool gravel to ride and to think that this was on my doorstep and something I could experience with my friends and training partners and then answer and then come back and tell you the story was unbelievable. I made a bold prediction on Friday's podcast that Sarah would not finish the race with as many teeth as she started the race and thankfully she did. She had no crashes whatsoever. So it was, look, I was delighted to get second there. Darren McCarter was, he's a a brilliant rider and it's such an amazing experience and I will definitely be adding this one onto my list for next year. I'm building out this list for next year. I'm so excited about yeah, hopefully, potentially, don't want to jinx it, but I might go over to the Kenyan Migration Gravel Race uh, as part of the Amani Project. It's this cool project going on. I'm going to get the founder on in a few weeks, but that's one I'm really excited about. It would be a dream to do some of the American ones, but I don't know if that's next year or the year after. I'm talking Unbound and Leadville, but there's loads of cool ones around Europe. But whatever my list is next year, I'll be adding the Lakeland Gravel Grinder onto that list. And I totally recommend you do the same. Roadmen, I'm back this week with a whopper week on the interviews. I wanted to take last week to just settle back in after travels. But this week, I'm back on it. And I have probably my most requested guest in a long time. It is my Chamois Tour Badlands companion. Aaron Carney is on the podcast tomorrow. And then another cracking, cracking episode on Thursday. I don't want to spoil it. But it's one of my one of the biggest laughs I've ever gotten the podcast from moments in Thursday's one. I had proper laugh out loud moments. Roman, ride safe and chat to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.